Well, Happy New Year. It's good to be with you. Uh, it's good to see you. Missed being here last week. Uh, it, was, it was nice to be with family uh, and to just uh, be a part of a worship service, uh, but it's just not home. Um, and so, so good to be with you this morning. Good to be back in worship uh, together and just excited about where we're headed. If you're a guest with us, we are glad that you're here. Uh, we're thankful uh, that you're with us today. If you're connecting with us online for the first time, we're thankful for this technology and we look forward to when we can get to know you in person. Uh, we know many of you will connect with us online before you ever step foot in our doors and we hope to see you soon. But this is, uh, is going to be a fun series that we're stepping into. Uh, I got excited just watching that uh, bumper video. I was like, man, uh, and I know where we're headed, but it's, it's going to be a fun time together. Uh, but before we jump in to talking about where we're headed in this series, I just want to pause um, and remind us that we are right now in the middle uh, on the seventh day of our 21 days of prayer and fasting. And if uh, you haven't jumped into that uh, time of prayer and fasting, it's not too late. You can, it's never too late to jump into prayer and fasting. You can kind of step in at any point, and it's okay. If you haven't done the first seven days, do 14 days uh, with us. And I would just remind you that on our website, if you go to crossbridgenaz.org forward slash 21 days. There are lots of resources uh, to help you if, you're, if you've never fasted before, if you kind of like, well, what is that? Uh, I encourage you to go check out some of those resources. Uh, but it is a spiritual discipline uh, that was given to us as a church by the Lord that has been something uh, that can help us move forward in ways that maybe you haven't been able to move forward in other areas. And, and the significant piece, and I'll just say this, because I could preach a whole sermon on this, and I, I won't, um, is just, uh, it is about, it's more than just about a, a New Year's diet, all right? It's not just about saying no to food or saying no to other things. It's about saying no to the things of the world while we say yes to more of the things of God. And, and as we do that, as we cut out some things of the world, uh, to make time and space in our lives for the things of the Lord. We're able to grow in ways that we weren't able to grow before. We're able to allow the Lord to do things in us that he hasn't been able to do before, not because he's not powerful enough, but because we haven't made space for him. So just encourage you. Um, so food is always a part of a biblical fast, um, and so there's lots of different ways you can do that. Uh, but there's also kind of some soul fasts, right? Um, we could all do with a little less social media. We could all do with a little less TV and entertainment. And so what are some of the things food-wise you can cut out? But what are also some of the things that just consume your mind and consume your time that you can say, you know what, I'm going to cut that out for the next 14 days and I'm going to create some more space for God. And I'm going to create some more space for prayer, some more space for scripture. Uh, tonight at 5 p.m. we have our first prayer service. encourage you to come back for that. Uh, we do those during the three weeks of our 21 days in prayer and fasting. And uh, we just encourage you to be a part of that. But again, I could go on and on about that. But we've got places to go today. And I've got a lot of introduction uh, to help us uh, know where we're headed in this series. Um, so if... Uh, if you are new here again, you are jumping in at a great uh, first Sunday. We're just thrilled that you're here because what we're going to do for the next several months is I'm going to attempt to preach the map. Uh, we're just calling this the map uh, because uh, we're, we're really going to just look at this map um, of the people of God moving from slavery in Egypt to this promised land in the land of Canaan. And we're going to talk about how, we, how they moved from Egypt and through the Sinai Peninsula and, and into Canaan. And so I want you to see this map. Um, this map that's on the screen is going to become familiar to us. And uh, we're, we're going to dive into this more uh, in the weeks to come. Uh, but this is, this is really the geography of salvation. Uh, this is... This is really the roadmap, if you will, for, for how, if you've ever wondered, well, how do I get from where I am to where God wants me to be? This is the roadmap for where you move and how you move from where you are to where God wants you to be. And so the journey is not just the story of the Hebrew children of God. It's our story. It's my story and it's your story. And I believe as we study this map, you'll be able to kind of say, hey, where am I on that journey? Where am I on the map? And so it's helped me in significant ways 
Um, this has been something that's been powerful in my own life, and uh, I hope it's equally powerful in yours. And so the whole journey begins in Egypt. The people are slaves. They're, they're completely um, un, unable to break out of where they are. Without God's power, they couldn't do anything. They were slaves in Egypt, uh, but God delivers them from the plagues, through the plagues. He delivers them as they cross through the Red Sea and He destroys the Egyptian army. And then, stop number one <clears throat> on the journey, right after they cross the Red Sea, they stop at this place called Mara uh, or the bitter place. And, and it's interesting, you know, why would the very first stop after you get freed from slavery be? the bitter place. And we'll talk about that uh, in a couple of weeks. But uh, that's the first stop on the journey. And after they go to Mara, Mar, they, they make their way to Mount Sinai. And, and there they have a wedding covenant with God. And, and it's almost like they get married uh, to God. And, and, and there's some, there's some uh, boundaries of, hey, this is, this is the wedding covenant. These are the do's and don'ts within the wedding covenant. Uh, and so they get married to God there at Mount Sinai. And then they make a short 11-day journey to this place called Kadesh Barnea. And at Kadesh Barnea, they're on the southern border of Canaan, which is the promised land, which God said, I'm going to deliver you from slavery in Egypt, and I'm going to bring you to this promised land. And on the southern border of Canaan, when, when they could literally see the land, they could literally smell the bountiful harvest of where they were headed they get there, and at Kadesh Barnea, God says, go on in. Take the promised land. This is what I have given to you. And the people go, yeah, no, we're not going to do that. Because you didn't tell us there were giants camping out on this land that you told us you were going to bring us to. So, yeah, we're not interested. We're not going to go. And God says, all right. And they do laps in the wilderness for the next 38 years. So then they finally make it to the plains of Moab. Moses preaches his last sermon. A new leader named Joshua rises up, and this new leader says, Hey, follow me. We're going to fully trust God, and we're going to cross over the Jordan River. And then they cross over the Jordan and they enter into this land of Canaan. And the very first thing they do when they enter into the promised land, this bountiful land, is they fight a battle the battle of Jericho. And so we're going to talk about this journey. Um, and I'll just say to you, um, this has been a significant spiritual story for me to understand my own journey. If you've been here for a long time, you know that about six or seven years ago, we walked through a similar journey and we talked about a, a similar story as this. And, and so there's going to be pieces of this. You're going to say, hey, that sounds familiar. Honestly, I think probably for the rest of my life, about every five or six years, you're going to hear something similar because our mission is to help people move from where they are to where God wants them to be. And the problem is, is I don't know if everybody knows where God wants them to be. I, I think even in our church, if, if I were to ask you right now, which I won't, don't shout it out, but if I were to ask you all right now to shout out, hey, where does God want us to be? We might all get different answers. But if we're going to say our mission as a church is to help people move from where they are to where God wants them to be, we've got to be crystal clear where does God want you to be? And what I want to tell you in this series over the next several weeks and several months is that where God wants you to be is in Canaan. Where God wants you to be is in this promised land, in this victorious Christian living. And, and God does not pull you out of slavery in Egypt so that you can wander in the wilderness for the rest of your life. God does not deliver you from slavery in Egypt so that you can do laps in the desert. He pulls you out of slavery in Egypt so that he can bring you to a promised land, this land of Canaan. And we're going to talk about how do we get there and what does it look like when we get there. And so I am so indebted uh, to an author and, and a pastor named Stan Key. I actually emailed uh, back and forth with him this week. And there's a chance he's watching this morning. And Stan, if you are, thank you for your investment in my life and in our church, um, and, and just helping me understand this roadmap, if you will, uh, from slavery into freedom and how the people of God's story in Egypt is really our story. And, and as we walk through this, um, you know, sometimes you've, you might have, some of us, depending, especially if you're, 
you're more seasoned. That's probably a good way to say that in church. All right. So for those of us who have been in church a long time, you might have heard analogies and you might have heard metaphors where um, the Jordan River is really this metaphor for death and Canaan is this metaphor for heaven. And I just want to kind of push back on that in this series. And I want to say, if that is the metaphor of what the Jordan River, if the, if the Jordan River really means death, and by the way, there's nowhere in Scripture that I see that, um, and if Canaan is heaven, <clears throat> and again, there's nowhere in Scripture that I see that, if that were the case, then that means the normal Christian life means wandering in the wilderness your entire Christian life until one day you cross over the Jordan and you get to heaven. And I would just argue to you, <clears throat> that is not the intended goal of the Christian life. And that's not what Jesus has for us. And uh, Romans chapter 7 is kind of wandering in the wilderness. And Romans chapter 8 is this victorious Christian living. And uh, if you haven't read Romans chapter 7 and Romans chapter 8 recently, I encourage you before your small group this week. Um, and I, if you're not in a small group, we're starting four of them this week, and you should jump into one. There, the information is on the back of your worship folder. You can find out there's, there's four that are going to be starting up. Uh, but before you go to that group, read Romans chapter 7 and read Romans chapter 8 and find out exactly uh, the difference between what that kind of doing laps in the wilderness in Romans chapter 7 and the victorious Christian living in Romans chapter 8. I encourage you to read that on your own. So in the next few months, I, I hope that, that you can get as excited about this map as I am. I hope that you can get I I as much of a picture of how this is not just fascinating history but it truly is our story, and it's your story. I hope you can capture that uh, as we go through this series together. And if I had one text for the entire series, if I had one text that I would say this is the text for the series, it's in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 23. And Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 23 says this, But he, speaking of God, brought us out from there to bring us in. And give us the land he promised on oath to our ancestors. Uh, he brought us out of Egypt. He brought us out from that place so that he could bring us in to the promised land. That, that is the essence of what this whole series is about. Uh, salvation is not just about getting out of Egypt. I, I just can't say that enough. Salvation is just as much about getting in to Canaan. It's not just about getting out of Egypt, it's about getting into this promised land of Canaan, this victorious Christian living. Now, there's a lot of metaphors for salvation, um, and as we go through this particular metaphor of, of what it means to go on a journey, I just want to highlight some of the other metaphors. Now, that picture that's on the screen there, I'm going to walk us through some of these. I'm going to quickly highlight the first three metaphors. Um, and I'm going to send this out in my e-note uh, later this week, so you'll see this again. Um, but uh, the first metaphor um, is really this courtroom metaphor. And, and many of us are familiar with this. This is the idea that God is the judge and that Jesus is our advocate or our lawyer. He's the one who's pleading our case. And, and who am I in this picture? I'm guilty. I'm, I'm the one who is, is the wrong person. And I'm condemned by the law. And the problem is that, that I'm, I'm guilty. I am a sinner and I know it. I know it. Nobody has to tell me that. I know that. And, and the solution is that I need my sins forgiven, and we do that by confessing and repenting and believing. And if I asked some of you in this room today, hey, tell me your story, you would say it was this kind of metaphor of salvation that was preached to you at some point in your life. You heard it, you recognized, yeah, I am a sinner. That's why I can't go to sleep at night, and I, that's why I have all this guilt, and I, I need salvation. And you turned your life to Christ because of this metaphor. It is a true metaphor, it's accurate, and, and it is biblical, but it's not the only metaphor of salvation. There, there's another metaphor of this idea of father and children, that God is our father, that Jesus is our brother, that I'm someone who needs to be reborn or adopted into a family. 
And, and that the problem is, is I'm dead to my sin, that I am a child of the devil, that, that I, I'm, not a, I, I'm not where I need to be. I'm not in the right family and the solution is I need to be born again. I need to be born in to a new family. I need to be adopted into this new family. And, and that is a good metaphor. It's a biblical metaphor. It's an accurate metaphor. And some of you uh, heard a, a, a metaphor like that of salvation, and that's how you came to know the Lord. That's how you came to Jesus. And there's another metaphor which we don't use as much in the evangelical church today, especially in America uh, but this third metaphor is this metaphor of marriage. And in this metaphor, God and Jesus, the bridegroom and husband, I'm the sought after. I'm the damsel in distress that God chases after to rescue and save. And the problem is, is I love somebody else. The problem is, is adultery. The problem is, is I'm pursuing other lovers. And the solution is that I need to get married to God and I need to commit to having one lover in my life. And, and again, it's not an imagery that we use a lot in the American church. It's, it's used in the Eastern Orthodox Church a lot. Uh, but, but this is another metaphor of salvation and relationship with God. Um, and, and all of those, and I'll just say this, um, Mount Sinai, where there is a wedding covenant between God and his people, nothing will help you understand the Ten Commandments better than to understand the Ten Commandments are wedding vows in a wedding ceremony between God and his people. And, and it's bound up in the loving relationship between a people of God who've already been delivered and saved and saying, hey, as we enter into this relationship, here's the wedding vows and, and this wedding ceremony that takes place. And, and uh, nothing will help you understand those Ten Commandments better than, than having that picture of what those Ten Commandments are. But we're not going to talk about any of those metaphors. Because we're going to talk about the last metaphor. And the last metaphor um, is this metaphor of a journey. By the way, this sermon has a lot of introduction. Um, and so some of you are going to start sweating at some point, wondering when are we, we're going to be okay. All right, There's a lot of buildup, and then we're going to go fast through some of the notes. All right, so um, the journey uh, is this last metaphor. And those are good metaphors, but I want us to focus on this one. And again, it's because our mission is a church is to help people move on a journey from where they are to where God wants them to be. And we believe God wants to lead you on that journey. And so we have to be clear about what does that journey look like, where's the destination of that journey, and so that's what we're going to focus on uh, in this series. And I, I just believe this. I believe that in 2024, God wants to lead you to some new places. And, and if you're like most people, you want to be led to new places in 2024. You're hoping that 2024 has some new places that God has for you. And, and as we move into this, I believe that God can give us clarity on what that looks like and how we can go there. And so in this metaphor, God is the Lord and King. And Jesus is our guide. He's the one who says, follow me. And Jesus doesn't just say, follow me. In John chapter 14, verse 6, John, uh, Jesus says, not just follow me and I'll show you the way, but Jesus says, I am the way. Follow me. Walk with me. I am the way. And, and who am I? What's the problem in this? It's, it's less about being a condemned, you know, a, a condemned criminal who needs a, a lawyer. It's, it's less about that imagery. And it's more about this, I'm a pilgrim on a journey and I'm lost. I'm going in the wrong direction. And I need a guide who can help me not go in the wrong direction, but start going in the right direction. And so the, the solution is I repent and I turn and I start following Jesus who wants to lead me in the right direction towards the Lord and King that is calling me to a better home and to a better place. Romans chapter 8 verse 14 says it this way. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. Those of us who are walking and being led are, are, are children of God. It, it, it is a journey. And um, later, at the end of this message, we're going we're gonna to quickly look at how the Apostle Paul preaches this map, this, this, this journey that we're going to talk about. The Apostle Paul, it's going to take me several months to do it. He does it in like 13 verses, all right? The Apostle Paul preaches this map, and he says to the people of Corinth, 
Uh, this is this map, and these are the lessons that we can learn from this map. But I want to spend some time, before we dive into that, uh, just introducing this whole series. Because I do believe introductions are really important. I, I think that the understanding of the, the depth of this will help us as we dive into this. Uh, there are just images of stories everywhere. So um, you think about all the great books and the great movies that are all about a journey. Think about how many there are. Um, and, and part of the reason is, is in our hearts, there is this longing to go on a journey. In our hearts, there's, there's this longing to, to go to this better place. Um, I, I just recently saw a, a preview uh, about a new movie that's coming out with Mark Wahlberg about this journey uh, on, this, on this, uh, this race and there's this dog with him on this race and I was just like, it was captivating. I just watched the preview and I'm like, I want to watch that. Why? Because there's something about us that wants to go on a journey. Just thinking about, you know, the, the Wizard of Oz um, and the Yellow Brick Road. What, what's the big deal about the Yellow Brick Road? Well, the, it's all about a journey. Um, you, you think about uh, the Lord of the Rings, and I don't know if you've read those books, but you've probably seen those movies. Um, and the Lord of the Rings is all about this journey with Frodo uh, moving from the Shire uh, to, to, to be able to take this amazing journey, and, and it's just captivating, and you can't put the books down, and you can't stop watching the movies if you ever get into them. And, uh, but there's just journey after journey after journey. Maybe the most famous, uh, certainly one of the most famous books that's ever been sold is is Pilgrim's Progress. And uh, it was written by a Baptist preacher in jail uh, as he tried to have a metaphor of what does the journey look like moving uh, from the city of destruction to the celestial city. And, uh, but, but there's all of these amazing journey stories, uh, but throughout the Bible, there is just this imagery of walking with God. There, this imagery that the language that's used is walking with God is this journey imagery that we see over and over and over in the Bible. Adam and Eve walked with God in the Garden of Eden. Noah walked with God, according to Genesis chapter 6-9. Abraham walked with God. Um, Jesus called his first disciples to follow me. According to Micah chapter 6-8, it says, Do justice, love mercy, walk humbly with God. Paul exhorted the church to walk in love, walk in the spirit, walk worthy, walk carefully. Don't walk like the Gentiles, walk the way that God wants you to walk. So over and over and over, Old Testament through the New Testament, we see this imagery of walking with God. But maybe the most prominent illustration of this picture of walking or journeying with God is this imagery that we're going to look at over the next several months. This, this idea of the people of God walking with God out of slavery through the desert into the promised land of Canaan that God had for them. This, this imagery of this journey, this imagery of this walking is so powerful. And no journey can be made without a map. No journey makes sense without a map. And so the question for us because we talk about this all the time. We want to help you move from where you are to where God wants you to be. You need a road map. You need to know where am I on the map. And honestly, I hope even today as we go through some of these notes, you can say, hmm, where am I? Maybe I'm out of Egypt. Maybe, maybe I'm in Canaan. Maybe I'm in the promised land and I'm experiencing just victorious Christian living. Or, or maybe I'm, I'm out of slavery, but, but I just feel stuck. I feel like I'm doing laps in the wilderness, and I don't know how to get unstuck. This map will help us know how we can get from where we are to where God wants us to be, and what does it look like to take those steps. And so the journey of the Jewish people, you're going to hear me say this over and over and over again, 3,400 years ago is not just interesting history. It's not just places on a map for us to get smarter and say, hey, this is really cool. I know some stuff. This journey, their journey, is our journey. And if we can understand their journey, it'll help us know how we can better walk our own journey. And so if you have your notes and you want to dive in and take some notes with me, it is a new year. Some of you haven't been a note taker ever, and this is the year, 2024. You're going to be a note taker, all right? Um, you'll notice... Um, 
during COVID, uh, we went away from kind of having a worship folder, and, and I said, we're never going to have it again. And Melanie says all the time, you shouldn't make God Almighty statements because, you know, I just changed my mind. And so we needed notes. for We needed small group questions, and so we, we're back to worship folders. There they are. Um, so um, hopefully, uh, as you look at some of those small group questions, uh, it'll give you an idea of what our new small groups are going to be doing. Um, and I would encourage you, again, if you haven't yet decided to jump into one of those groups, there's four new groups launching uh, this week, and uh, you can just show up to one of the ones uh, that looks interesting to you. And I hope several of you uh, will make a decision to begin taking notes and begin jumping into a small group. So um, here we are, the geography of salvation. Uh, some, basic, some basic observations um, so that we can understand this. And, and really, again, I want you, as we go through these, to just think to yourself, where am I? You know, um, w- when you go to that map at a mall, um, and, and you, you're looking, and it's a new place and you've ever been, or you're at a theme park, and you're wondering, hey, how do I get to the roller coaster that I want to get to, and I, you have no idea where you are or where the roller coaster is, the first thing that you do when you get to the map is you look for the here am I, or the this is where you are, red kind of pointer there on the map. That, that's what I want you to do. If you don't know where you are, you're never going to know how to get to where you need to go. And so as we go through these, just think to yourself, where am I at in this? So number one, Egypt represents bondage. Uh, the Hebrews uh, had lived in Egypt for 400 years. They were Egyptians. Uh, they, they were in Egypt, but they weren't Egyptians. It wasn't their home. They didn't assimilate into the culture. But for 400 years, they had been in Egypt And can you imagine being in a place that wasn't your home for 400 years? Just think how far that is. Think back 400 years ago. And and your your family and your family's family and generations and generations and generations back had been in a place that wasn't home, and you knew it wasn't home, but you'd been gone so long you didn't know how to get back home. Just imagine what that feels like. Imagine what that must have been like. And that's exactly what was going on. And and the good news is, is God knew how to get them back home. And God desired to lead them home. And and that's just super good news for us. That when you're in a place, and sometimes when you're in bondage, you don't know how to get out of bondage. You don't even know what the new home looks like. But you're just there, and and you, you feel stuck in that place, and you feel locked in that place, and you... You don't even know anything other than that place, but you just have this longing and this sense that this isn't right, that this shouldn't be this way, that this doesn't feel like home, and that nagging sense is true because God is saying to you, no, 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 I actually have a home for you, and it's not where you are right now. It's not this place where you're locked up in this bondage that you're in. And so, number one, Egypt just represents bondage. Number two, the Red Sea represents salvation that the moment of salvation happened when the people of Israel crossed over the Red Sea God freed them from the Egyptian army because not only did he bring them through the Red Sea but he destroyed the Egyptian army as they tried to chase them across the Red Sea and so there was the the blood of the lamb that protected them as the Passover happened and it was the, the water, according to the Apostle Paul. Uh, the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, 2, that it was the, the water of the baptism of Moses crossing through uh, the Red Sea. And so there was this blood of the Lamb on the doorposts and this baptism of Moses as they crossed through the Red Sea that the people are delivered. They're set free from slavery. They're set free from Egyptian bondage. Number three, you can write this down, Mount Sinai represents this covenant marriage. And for those of you who were ahead of me and smart, you were like, ooh, you, I, I knew that. I, I wrote that down earlier. Some of you like to get ahead and guess answers. So, uh, but this covenant marriage, and it's, it's not, this is important about my, Mount Sinai. It's not in Egypt. This is so important for us to understand that um, God defines what he expects in a marriage covenant to his people but he doesn't do that while they're in Egypt. 
He pulls them out of slavery in Egypt, and after he pulls them out of slavery in Egypt, he then gives them this marriage covenant of the commandments and the laws. And God's laws, we don't follow God's laws so that we can get set free from bondage. We're set free from bondage so that we can follow God's laws. Does that, that difference make sense to you? That no, we don't obey the law to get out of Egypt. God brought them out of Egypt just because he loved them. He pulled them out of Egypt just because he cared for them and he, he had something better for them. But after he brought them out of Egypt, he said, hey, as we walk in this loving relationship, this is what this loving relationship looks like. They were rescued first. Once you get out of Egypt, you have the ability to follow the law because you can't follow the law when you're in Egypt. And that's the problem with some of us. Some of you, you're in Egypt. You haven't been set free. You haven't crossed through the, the Red Sea. There's, there's not been a moment where you've been saved from this bondage. And you keep trying to be a better person. And you keep trying to do things in your own power and your own strength. And you keep trying to fix yourself and, and do enough good stuff. And it doesn't work that way. You're delivered first. And after you're delivered, then you have the power to follow and obey and do things that you weren't able to do before. Number four, this is where it kind of gets bad. There's a desert in between Egypt and the promised land. I mean, man, wouldn't it be so good if they would have just crossed over the Red Sea and all of a sudden they were in this land flowing with milk and honey and it was this great abundant land? I mean, that, that surely would have been ideal. And there had to be some of the people that after they were delivered and after they crossed over the Red Sea, they looked around and they went, hey, where's, the, where's this great land? I thought you brought us out of Egypt to bring us to this land flowing with milk and honey, this great, abundant, prosperous land. And, and God says, welcome to the Sinai Peninsula, one of the most desolate places on the planet Earth. And I just, it's an interesting, interesting thing that they don't go right in. And this is, this is some of us. Some of us have had an experience in our own journey where we get saved, we step across a line of faith, we ask Jesus to be Lord of our life, we say, I'm going to start following you, and we get delivered from bondage, and the next day we go, where's this abundant Christian living? Where's this amazing, everything's perfect, and it's all like, and this powerful spiritual power, like, what's happening? And we just forget, because in America, we don't have any theological understanding of the desert. We, we've, we don't really talk about the desert we don't understand the place that the desert holds in our own journey. And I'm just telling you if, that many of us had a salvation experience, hit the desert, and went, oh, I didn't think it was going to be like this. I want to go back to Egypt. And I'm just telling you that there's a, there's a good place for the desert in our life. The desert is a good place to pass through. But it's not a good place to do laps for 40 years. All right? It's, it's a good place to pass through, and it's a good place to learn some important lessons. And we're going to talk about those lessons, particularly next month. We're going to dive through some of these lessons that we can learn in the Desert University. But uh, it is a, it's a place that we can learn lessons, but it's not a place to live. It's not a place to spend the rest of our life. And so uh, there's this desert uh, in between. God, God says to the people, hey, you're saved, but you're not home yet. You're saved, but I've got somewhere better. Hang in there with me. Let me walk you through this. I've got you. This is not a great place to be, but I'll lead you through this place because I want to bring you to someplace better. And number five, not everyone who had enough faith to get out of Egypt had enough faith to get into Canaan. Think about that. In, in the story of the people of Israel, most of them died in the wilderness. Most of the generation that left Egypt never made it into the promised land because they didn't have enough faith to trust God to go into that promised land. Um, number six, the Jordan River represents entering into Canaan. Um, just this is, this is so important. Just like crossing the Red Sea... If you think about the salvation experience, right? Somebody's like, what does it look like to get saved, right? What does it look like to be delivered? 
the salvation experience for the people of God in Egypt. And we're going to dive into this deeper over the next several weeks. But, but they, it was a journey from the beginning. They, they weren't one day Moses showed up in Egypt and said to Pharaoh, let my people go, and the next day they were crossing the Red Sea. If you remember that, that's not how that happened. There was a lot of things that took place from the time Moses showed up and said, uh, hey, let my people go, and that God heard the cries of his people and sent Moses to deliver them. There was a lot of things that happened that were moving them to a crisis moment of salvation. But they weren't saved after the fourth plague. They weren't saved after the ninth plague. They weren't even saved after the tenth plague when they started moving. They really weren't saved until they crossed over the Red Sea and the Egyptian army was destroyed when the Red Sea crashed in over them. That was when they were really delivered from slavery, right? So there was this moment. There was a lot of things that built up to the moment, but there was a moment where they went, we were slaves and now we're free. And the army that was behind us chasing us is no longer chasing us. And that moment, that crisis moment happened at the Red Sea. Likewise, there were a lot of moments that happened from the Red Sea before they crossed the Jordan River. There was a lot of learning in the desert. There was a lot of decisions. There was a lot of things that God taught his people. But there was a secondary crisis moment where the people said, okay, we're going to fully trust God. And then they crossed over the Jordan River and everything changed when they went into the land of Canaan. And so uh, as we think about that, this Jordan River represents entering Canaan. It, it represents a secondary kind of crisis moment where there's a, a, a pinnacle decision of, hey, at one point at the Red Sea, we got saved. At the Jordan River, we entered into the promised land. John 10, 10 says this, Jesus says the thief's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life living in Canaan. Some of us are like, I don't know if I'm there. But that's where Jesus wants to lead us. Number seven says this, uh, Canaan represents kingdom living, the victorious Christian life. For those of you who've been in the church for a long time, you could just write in there, sanctification. So, what does all this look like? Nothing, nothing again, indicates in Scripture. Now, I know for those of us who know some of the older hymns of the church, um, in the hymns of the church, sometimes Canaan is heaven and the Jordan River is death. But nothing in Scripture points to that. Nothing in Scripture points that that the desired goal for God is for us to do laps in the wilderness our entire life until one day we get to heaven. That is not the intent that Jesus has for us. Number eight is this, uh, salvation is a journey. It's not just a courtroom. It's not just a family metaphor. It's not just a, a marriage metaphor. But it's not a one-time decision. Salvation... At, and again, in the American understanding of salvation, we really think of, the, of salvation as a one-time decision. But salvation is more than a one-time decision. It is a journey. It is a walk. It, it is walking with God. It is, it is walking with Jesus. It's following Jesus. And what we need to know, you can write this in your notes, is just this. It's Deuteronomy 6.23. He brought us out from there, he brought us out from there so that he can bring us in to Canaan. He brought us out from there, or Egypt, so that he can bring us in to the land that he swore he would give to our fathers. Deuteronomy 6 23. So, that was all introduction. Uh, we're moving to a close. Uh, as we look at this sermon from the Apostle Paul, very quickly, I'm just going to read these 13 verses. If you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you uh, to look with me. Uh, Paul is going to preach the map. And it's important to know who he's preaching the map to. Paul is preaching the map to the Corinthian church. These were Greeks. They were Gentiles. They were the most immature, carnal 
worst church you've ever heard of. So like, if you've ever heard stories of a really toxic, bad church, you've you got nothing on the Corinthian church. It was a train wreck. It, it was, it was, there were things that were happening in the Corinthian church that you just, if you haven't read the, the books of 1 and 2 Corinthians, just read it. It's a letter to a church. Remember that when you read 1 and 2 Corinthians. The Apostle Paul is writing to a church. And when you read it and you understand he's writing to a church, you're like, oh my goodness, there was a lot of bad stuff happening in that place. What is going on? And so Paul, in order to solve a lot of the problems that were going on in one of the worst churches in the New Testament, to help them solve these things, he preaches the map. He preaches this journey from the people of God. And so if you have your Bibles, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1 through 13. And uh, we're going to read this passage, and then I'm going to very quickly give you four applications for Paul's map, and then we're going to close in prayer. But 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1 through 13 says this, I don't want you to forget, dear brothers and sisters, about our ancestors in the wilderness long ago. So he's talking about the journey that the people of Israel made. All of them were guided by a cloud and moved, that moved ahead of them. And all of them walked through the sea on dry ground. In the cloud and in the sea, all of them were baptized as followers of Moses. All of them ate the same spiritual food. And all of them drank the same spiritual water. For they drank from the spiritual rock that traveled with them. And that rock was Christ. Yet God was not pleased with most of them. And their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. And these things happened as a warning to us so that we would not crave evil things as they did. In other words, he's saying, hey, know your history. Know what happened back then so you don't repeat history today. These things happened to them as a warning to us. Or worship idols as some of them did, as the scriptures say. The people celebrated with feasting and drinking, and they indulged in pagan revelry. And we must not engage in sexual immorality, as some of them did, causing 23,000 of them to die in one day. Nor should we put Christ to the test, as some of them did, and then died from snake bites. And don't grumble, as some of them did, and then were destroyed by the angel of death. These things happened to them as examples for us. They were written down to warn us who live at the end of the age. If you think you're standing strong, be careful not to fall. The temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. And God is faithful and he will not allow the temptations to be more than you can stand. When you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. And this is God's word, and we are thankful for it. Um, this map of the people of God from slavery into the promised land is not just their story. It's our story. And if we know it and we know how to apply it, it can lead us to where God wants us to be. So very quickly, I want to give you four, just some application points from Paul's map. Number one, salvation is a journey. Be informed. Be informed. Salvation isn't just a ticket to heaven. It's not just a get-out-of-jail-free card. Jesus says, follow me. And I don't know any other way to say this. If we're not following Jesus, if we're not walking with Jesus, then we're not on this journey of salvation. If you say, I'm a follower of Jesus, but I'm not following Jesus, that's not just bad theology, it's irrational. It doesn't make sense to say I'm a follower of Jesus, but I'm not following the things that he tells me to do and he, he's asking me to do and I'm not being obedient and I'm not surrendering my will to his will. That, that salvation is this journey and the question for us is, 
are we walking? Are we on the journey? Are we following? Number two, not all who start the journey finish. Be wise. Not everybody who got out of Egypt made it into the promised land. We need to be wise. The, the race is not determined at the starting gate. The race is determined at the finish line. The, think about the people of Israel. They had, every, they had every spiritual blessing from heaven that they could have possibly had. They had the ten plagues that, that delivered them from Egypt. The Red Sea parted for them and wiped out the Egyptian army. They had bread and quail delivered to them by God himself in the wilderness for years. They had every possible spiritual blessing, and yet most of them never made it into this promised land of Canaan. And so spiritual blessings do not guarantee spiritual success or maturity. And, and it is possible to get set free from slavery and literally spend the rest of your life until you die doing laps in the desert, but you don't have to. You don't have to stay in that place that you can move into this place of victorious Christian living, of, of sanctification, of, of this joy-filled, victorious Christian life. It is possible to be there, but most of us are doing laps in the wilderness and we're wondering, how do I get out of this place? And, and so Jesus said it this way in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21 through 23. Jesus said, not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. On judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name. We cast out demons in your name. We performed many miracles in your name. But I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's law. And I don't say that to make us afraid of, of where we're at on the journey, but the Bible does say the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And, and just recognizing that just checking a few boxes and, and making some one-time decisions is not enough, but it is a journey of walking and following and surrendering for our life that really determines this journey of salvation that we're on. And... The next one is just this, number three, there are certain dangers that all pilgrims face. Be alert. Paul doesn't mention every temptation. He doesn't mention every danger that the Hebrews faced during the Exodus, but he does kind of focus in on four of them. And he just kind of seems to indicate, hey, these four, they're big. Watch out, be careful. And he highlights four of them that the people of God struggled with. He, he highlighted idolatry putting our hope in things other than God. He highlighted sexual immorality. He highlighted putting the Lord to the test. And he highlighted grumbling. Now, I would just pause for a moment and say, idolatry, putting your hope in things other than God. Sexual immorality, putting the Lord to the test. And grumbling. Paul would say, you probably struggle with one of those four. Paul would say there's a chance you're wrestling with one of those four. And he says, be careful, be alert. These things are, are common struggles. And he says just, hey, pay attention. Uh, the Spanish philosopher George Santayana says this, those who cannot learn from history are doomed to repeat it. So we need to look at the lessons from the people of God and their map so that we can learn how we can avoid these things. And then the last one is this, God is faithful, be encouraged. God is faithful, be encouraged. Uh, this, this is the good news. This is the good news. Uh, if you would say, hey, I'm struggling. If you would say, I don't like where I'm at on that map. I, I'm kind of seeing that I, maybe I'm on a place in the map that I don't want to be. Be encouraged because God is faithful and he wants to lead you to a new and a better place. Um, if, you're, if you're struggling and you're saying, I don't like where I'm at, just know this. Know that you're normal, that temptations are for everyone. Uh, but don't stop when, when you're struggling and you're wrestling and, and you're, you're dealing with temptation. Don't stop because the last thing you want to do is say, well, I'm just going to go back to Egypt. Don't, don't go back to the place that you were delivered from. 
Don't, don't go backwards to where you came from. And, and know that God is faithful, that he brought you out. And the reason he brought you out is he wants to bring you in to the promised land. He wants to bring you in to a better place. And victory is promised in Scripture. That with temptation, there is always a way out, Paul says. Paul says, hey, that, that there is, there's always the opportunity for us to get out of those places that are pulling us back. And so uh, my hope is that you'll say, this is where I'm at, and that you'll know that you don't have to stay there. And I'm telling you, as we dive into this over these next several weeks and months, we're going to learn how do we move from where we are to where God wants us to be. I'm going to pray with you. Would you bow your heads? Father, I, I ask that you would help each and every one of us today to be honest enough to allow your Holy Spirit to shine onto our hearts and our minds and reveal to us where we are. Lord, I pray that as we recognize where we are, that you would give us the joy and the faith of knowing that we don't have to stay there. Lord, I pray that you would stir something up in, in, in those that are here that are younger and those that are here that are older, those that are newer to church and maybe haven't even stepped across the Red Sea and allowed you to save them and deliver them and and those that are wandering in the wilderness, and maybe they've been there for a long time, or maybe they've been there for a short time, but they feel like they're in the desert, and they, they want to get into this promised land. Lord, I pray that you would give us just the, the hope that you have the power to get us out of Egypt, and you also have the power to get us into Canaan. Build that hope in us, Lord. In this time of, of prayer and fasting, as we seek your face as a church. Lord, I pray that you would do newer and greater things in each and every one of us. Help us to be fully surrendered to you, to say yes to you in every way. We ask it in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen.